If you're visiting or you don't know me, my name's Andy. I'm one of the ministers here. I'm preaching this morning. Charlie is uh, doing those sort of, he's running a, do you run a triathlon? Do you, you kind of run, cycle and swim a triathlon? He's down in Bournemouth uh, doing what Charlie does. So that's where, that's where, that's where Charlie is today. But we're going to uh, look, uh, as David said, at Matthew 7 uh, verses 1 to 12. So I'm going to read them before we begin, or as we begin, really. Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For the judgment you give will be the judgment you get, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eyes, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye? Well, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. Or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for bread would give a stone? Or if the child asked for fish, would give a snake? If you then who are... (laughs) Tempted? (laughs) Tempted. (laughs) Uh, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? In anything, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. And may God help us to understand those words. I wonder if any of you recognize this guy. Some people recognize him. Uh, This is Doug Hawley. otherwise known as Dougie Doug Doug. Uh, Doug has been doing children's ministry since, well, before our kids were little. Uh, And he specializes in those simple little action songs, those earworms, which once they enter your brain, seemingly remain there forever. Uh, I was chatting with Esther in the week, and Esther remembers the words from... 15, however many years ago. Uh, Of course, the actions are a different matter. I've never yet met an action song which I can successfully conquer. (laughs) And now, for goodness sake, we have action readings as well. (laughs) I gave up. (laughs) Yeah, I gave up. (laughs) Thank you. That was brilliant, though, David. Wasn't that good? 
I was sitting there thinking, wow, that's brilliant. Thank you, David. That was great. But beyond me, I'm afraid. Uh, But whenever I hear uh, particularly that verse about the log and the speck, I remember one one of Doug's songs. I told you the the words remain there forever. Uh, Is there a plank in your eye big enough to walk on, big enough to build a ship or maybe start a bonfire? Is there a plank stuck in your eye? Stuck, stuck, stuck. And I was so tempted to sing it. But <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's, yeah. Uh, but this is a frustrating passage to preach from. Because it kind of lacks a common theme. I don't know if it struck you as, you as you read it. It feels like almost a random collection of sayings that, that don't necessarily feel like they hang together very well. And so we've got logs and we've got specks, we've got pearls and swine and fish and snakes. Uh, Jesus loves a good metaphor, doesn't he? Uh, and this passage kind of over... Maybe that's why they put it together. This, these, these are Jesus' greatest metaphors, all collected together for our uh, enlightenment. Uh, I'm going to largely... I'm going to play it safe. I'm not going to try and deal with the whole passage because, as I say, there's, there's an awful lot there. I'm going to largely stick to the first five verses, although there'll be a couple of cross-references. So we're in Matthew 7. We're about two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And if you've missed any of the sermons, as David said, you can go back and uh, listen to it on on, on YouTube uh, and, and catch up with, with what, you've, what you've missed. Uh, but the Sermon on the Mount, in a way, is like this primer in the nature and the ethics of the kingdom of God. That, that's, kind, that's the theme. It's about the kingdom of God and living within the kingdom of God, living in kingdom ways. Uh, when we think about ethics, we generally think about identifying what is right and what is wrong and, and doing the right stuff and desperately avoiding trying to do the bad stuff. That's, that's kind of how we think about ethics. But actually, I think for Jesus, ethics are bigger than that. It's not just about the right and the wrong, as it were. Uh, for Jesus, for I think for the rest of the New Testament writers, uh, they're concerned with, in part with how our behavior contributes to the health of God's family to the health of the church, to building up uh, the church. Somebody prayed before the service, asking that today's service will build us up as a body. You see, the church, us, the community of God's people, are meant to be a gift to the world, a place where faith can flourish, when faith is encouraged, when faith grows, but also a concrete expression of God's kingdom, where something of God's intention for human community is shown in the way we treat each other, in the way we live together. A city on a hill, Jesus called it in Matthew 5, a light to the world. And we're still working out what that means, what that looks like. Uh, Ethics, in a sense, is about building community together. And in many ways, that's what the ser- one of the things the Sermon on the Mount is about, is how we build that sustainable, good, deep life together. And so for, for us as a church, we've got our church values. You probably can't 
see them on the screen, but around the building. Love generously, act justly. Forgive swiftly, include selflessly. Practice humility. Not just about treating people well, but the foundations upon which a healthy community can form and grow and show something of God's love so that we can honor God together. These are the qualities that, that build, if you like, true community, true marriage, true friendship. All those things, true family. But of course, there are behaviors and there are attitudes and ways of being that are not helpful, that are harmful, that are destructive. And one of the most destructive things to any community is when a critical or judgmental spirit takes root. It's the presence within the community of those who who nurture that kind of spirit, who think they are better than others, or more holy than others, or more moral or spiritual than others, who are more in touch with God than others, and whose mission is to fix everybody else. Don't you just love it when somebody tries to fix you? We love it, don't we? Yeah. That's my mission. I'm going I'm to fix you. I'm going to sort you out. Just leave me alone. Uh, fixing other people is not your job. Unfortunately, as David said earlier, that's not been my experience at Bessels. I'm, I'm preaching to the converted, although I did squirm a bit during that, that question, uh, that questionnaire. Uh, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. I guess there is judging and there is judging, if that makes sense. Uh, On the one hand, there is a judgment that is a moral discernment. Deciding what kinds of behavior are helpful and what types of behavior are definitely not. And we all do that. And we all should do that. Literally, the word judge, as it says up there, means to evaluate, to discern, to separate, to decide. It's the process by which we determine what is right and what is wrong. And what Jesus, Jesus is not telling us to give up on that. To... So I have no moral framework at all. Anything goes. That's not what this is about. Although, of course, the wise person always holds her judgments lightly. They know that they might be wrong. And that they have all sorts of influences, all sorts of biases, all sorts of things that they've picked up along the way which affect how they see the world, either consciously or subconsciously. So however strongly we hold something to be true, there's still something, there needs to be a humility there. I might be wrong. So there's the judging we do all the time, the helpful, healthy kind of judging. 
And there is the other type of judgment, the one that Jesus is talking about here, which is to condemn another, to see them as somehow morally inferior to me. And as that little quiz showed us, it's very difficult to resist that, isn't it? Moral self-righteousness, dwelling on someone else's faults, actually can feel quite good, can't it? At least I don't do that. Compared with X, I'm a saint. There's a story told of uh, a Catholic priest who was approached by an Italian gangster whose whose brother had died. Uh, And he said, I want you to do the sermon and I want you to say good things about my brother. And if you do, there'll be a new church roof. The church had a... And and, and this priest did his research and the guy who died was not a good man, let's say. Really, really not a a good man. Uh, and the, the priest wondered about what to do. So he, he stood up uh, at, the, uh, at the memorial service and he, he went through this guy's uh, faults, some of the bad things he'd done. And he could see the brother getting more and more and more update, more and more uptight. And then he ended. So he, he was not a good man, but compared with his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> Comparison, eh? (laughs) Comparison. But the vision I see in the New Testament is not of disciples playing a kind of moral game of king of the castle. It's of us walking together in love and trust and urging and encouraging each other on to greater faithfulness. That's the picture I see throughout the, the New Testament. Don't judge because the measure you give will be the measure you get. And you can read this two ways. Firstly, you can read it as if actually the way we treat others will be the way that God will treat us. And I think that's true. But also, maybe I think this is more likely within the context. It's simply an observation on the way that life works. If you constantly see the worst in people, if self-righteousness is your defining characteristic, if you are harsh with your, on your dealings with others, then you're not going to have many friends. Are you? Who wants to be around that kind of person? You'll miss out on the joy of friendship with a whole bunch of gloriously flawed people because they don't meet your standard. You'll miss the adventure of growing in faith, of being reconciled, of learning the lessons that come when we mess up. But conversely, if you look for the good in people, if you rejoice in their strengths and their successes, and if you mourn with them and walk with them in their struggles, then you'll know the joy of deep and significant and life-giving relationships. You will enjoy people, and they will enjoy you. That's true, isn't it? That's true. 
how we treat other people, we get that back in spades. But then we get this image. This comic image of somebody pointing out a minuscule fault in others. The speck. When there's this enormous great log. This enormous moral failure in their own life. The plank that is big enough to build a ship or a whopping great bonfire. Jesus calls them hypocrites. And says, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. The Gospels demand that we take ourselves seriously. Jesus demands that we take ourselves seriously and that we engage in the hard work, and it is hard, of log identification and log removal. As Christians, we're called to be self-aware. Conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires. Because they'll affect who we are. And it's better to know who we are. To be realistic, to recognize our own strengths, our own gifts, that's part of it. But also to acknowledge the ways in which we're broken. And that we need help and that we need forgiveness. Maybe that's what repentance is, that daily task. Weekly task of of log removal. Of wrestling with ourselves, wrestling with God. So that more and more we seek to reflect the image of Jesus. This is St. Ignatius, or at least it's an image of what St. Ignatius made. He was alive in the 16th century, so we haven't got any photographs, sadly. Uh, But uh, he he developed a practice which he called the Daily Examine, uh, which was intended to... uh, Ignatius founded the Jesuit order, and it was particularly designed for people who who became part of that order to, I guess, detect God's presence in their life day by day, day by day. And essentially, it's a way of reviewing the last 24 hours. Typically, it happens in the evening. If you're like me, you tend to leave it too late, and then your brain's... Yeah. Uh, To reflect on what's happened during the day to reflect on the people that I've had contact with and those engagements, uh, the feelings that that I've had. uh, I guess it's about self-awareness. And it's done via a series of questions. Uh, These are the the questions I use, uh, try and use each day towards the end of the day. What am I most grateful for? What is the good stuff that I'm grateful for each day? Uh, What has warmed my heart? What has made me more open to others and to God? And then there's space to give thanks, to praise. And then what am I least grateful for? What has closed me up to others and to God? And what do I regret? For me, that's a way of doing some work on some of my logs. To think about how I did today. What has tripped me up? And I thought, ooh, didn't do so well there. Jesus, at the end of the passage, 
David said I was going to speak on, especially on prayer. I'm not going to say much about prayer, but, but for me, this is a prayerful way of doing some of that log searching. Maybe that's what the asking and searching and knocking that Jesus talks about is about. Maybe it's about looking into our own hearts, reviewing our lives in the presence of God, in the presence of my Father in heaven, my Father who loves me, my Father who only wants the best for me, my Father who doesn't want me to beat me up, but wants me to grow and develop and to live that deep life that, that Charlie was talking about last week. Father who loves me with a passion that I can only begin to imagine. The Father who longs for me to grow, to develop, and to create something beautiful with you guys here. You don't have to do it like this. This sort of thing might not work for you, uh, but it's important that we take time to do some of our own log searching, log identification, to reflect on what we do well, but maybe where we struggle. Yeah, there's an irony here, isn't there? Uh, there's an irony that these, these logs that we need to take out of our own eyes can actually sometimes get in the way so we can't see. Uh, and we actually need others when it comes down to it to help us. We can't do it on our own. We actually need other people to help us. Uh, research has suggested that 95% of people think they're self-aware. Guess what the true proportion is? Any guesses? Five. It's between 10 and 15. We all have blind spots, don't we? Things that stop us recognizing maybe those logs in our own eyes. The cat looks in the mirror and sees a lion, or the lion looks in the mirror and sees the cat. I'm not sure which that is. I was, I was driving to see my parents on, on Friday, and I was on the M25, which is a deep joy always, uh, and I needed, I needed to change lanes. I needed to pull across, uh, uh, and I looked in my mirror, and uh, I, was, I was just about to signal when I remembered, no, I need to look over my shoulder. And there was this blooming great car racing up the inside that I, I just did not see in my mirror, uh, and without that deliberate backwards glance, the results would have not been very pretty. We all have our own blind I have my own blind spots that are dangerous to me and to those around me, and I would hazard a guess that you are the same. And then there are some of those beliefs we hold about ourselves. The imposter syndrome. I feel like I fraud, fraud. everyone is going to find out that I don't deserve to be here. Anyone ever felt that? I'm in this room and everybody else knows far more than me or is far better than me and I I just feel way out of my depth. Or perfectionism. I need to do everything perfectly or I'm a failure. 
or that sense of comparison, actually. Everyone else has got this great life, and look at me. I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. Deep down, if everyone knew what I was like, they wouldn't want to be around me anymore. And so we beat ourselves up and we shrivel up uh, because we're afraid. And if you recognize any of those in yourself, uh, then you're walking around with an incredibly big burden on your back. Aren't you? Heavy load, heavy load to carry. And if that is you, then the examiner is not something to beat yourself up with, but maybe something to build yourself up with. Maybe the most important thing is that you can surround yourself with folks who will encourage you and build you up and speak positive truth into your life. And if you have people in your life who put you down constantly, who demean you, who make you feel bad about yourself, then maybe it's time you found some new people to hang with. Yes? Yeah? Absolutely. Seriously, those who encourage, those who build other people up, they are giants in God's kingdom. The irony is that we need others, loved ones, trusted friends, to help us see our blind spots. In my experience, teenage children are particularly good at that. Some of you have got those joys yet to come, aren't they? Teenage children, fine, just, they, they see us clearly sometimes, and they tell us about it. Uh, but when I read the New Testament, part of the vision of the church I see is that, is that community of people who walk together through the rich tapestry of life urging each other on, encouraging each other, building those relationships of trust and accountability. And we all need that in our life, don't we? We need people who can speak truth to us. People who we trust, who can speak truth to us, who love us, who have our backs, but who can tell us as it is. I know... Charlie and I, as, as ministers, are so grateful for our, for our elders. But they do that to us. We know absolutely that we have their support. But they will tell us. They'll speak truth to us when we need it, when we need to hear it. So thank you, guys. Thank you. But we, we need that. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. Relationships take time. Maybe look for those people. If, you've not, if you don't feel you've got a friend who you know will speak truth to you, you know will say, you know you do that. Not in a fix you way, but in a I love you way. Not, a, not, not in a speaking truth in love way. Has anyone said that to you? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this in love. And you think, really? <laughs> uh, you don't need to say if you're doing it in love because they'll know. 
One of my favorite Old Testament stories uh, comes in Genesis 32, and it's it's a story where where Jacob ends up wrestling all night with God. Uh, And at the end of the night, uh, Jacob kind of walks into the distance with a limp. He's had this encounter with God, and as a result, he's limping. But actually, at the same time, he's more whole than he's ever been. Whenever I hear people talking about living in faith and victory, I think about Jacob limping into the distance, because that's more my experience. I have these blinking great logs that keep getting in the way, and I think I've removed them, and then another one pops up. Uh And there's some that I don't even see, and I need people. Sarah's good at it. (laughs) I should have said husbands and wives, not just teenagers, but but I, I... I need people like that. You need people like that. We need people like that. So may we be a community who bless, bless us, who bless each other, not by pointing out each other's faults, not by saying you did that, but by genuinely holding each other accountable, trusting each other, and walking graciously together. Called into love. We sung those words earlier, didn't we? Which song was it? Good, good, was it? I can't remember which song it was, but there was a song about being called into love. And that's what we, we're called into love together, limping together into God's kingdom. And may God bless us as we walk, limp that journey together. Bless you all. Amen.